Hi, this is Steve Cropper, and you're listening to Nashville Soul Music. Hi, this is Cowboy Keith, and you're listening to the Nashville Soul Music Podcast. Today, my guest is Steve Cropper, producer, guitar player, raconteur, and rock and roll hall of famer. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, glad to be here, Cowboy. All right, so I always start the uh, right at the beginning. Where were you born? On the planet. <laughs> were you small when you were born? Real tiny. I mean, just a little bitty guy. <laughs> what, what, what state was that? <laughs> Missouri. Missouri. Willow Springs, Missouri. The house I was born in doesn't exist anymore. I was born in my aunt's house. My dad had business in Willow Springs. I think uh, the history books will say I was, I'm not born in, but from Dora, Missouri. Dora. Several miles away, 20-something miles away. My dad had business in Willow Springs. Took my mom with me. She was about two, two and a half weeks late with me. He dropped my mom off at my aunt's house. He goes on about his business, and about two hours later, my mom said, uh-oh, it's coming out. Notice I said, it's coming out. <laughs> it's here. <laughs> so they went and got my dad, and so my mom, you know. She suffered a little bit. So uh, I've had a lot of people ask me, well, why are you an only child? And I asked my dad that one time, and he said, you know, your mom had a lot of trouble with you, I guess because I was two and a half weeks late. I weighed nine pounds, 10 ounces, according to them. That's pretty big. That's a big And he said, I watched your mom suffer through you, and I'll never put her through that again. So that's why you don't have any brothers and sisters. Well, that's very noble as well of your father. Well, he stuck to it, I guess. Yeah. So did you grow up in Missouri, or did you grow up somewhere else? It depends on your age limit. I left Missouri when I was 10 years old and moved to Memphis, Tennessee. So you went to high school in Memphis? Uh, I did. I went to grade school in Memphis. You went to grade school and high school, okay. But, um... In, in the States, you know, basically it's the first grade through the 12th after kindergarten. Right. So I did all that plus an extra year. So I actually went to school for 13 years. 13 years. My mother and my dad were both school teachers. Does it make you one year farmers, smarter? Huh? Does it make you one year smarter? <laughs> oh, at least. <laughs> well, I could count one year further. I think that's what it was. Now, you played music in high school. Were you, were you, in the, were you, did you play anything besides the guitar? Were you in like high school? I band? played music during high, during school. high school. I didn't play music at or uh, in high school. So you weren't like the high school band or anything? Not at all, no. Okay. Yeah, so. so did you always play guitar or did you play something else first? No, I pretty much always played guitar. Always right? played guitar. And then, so, but you, you didn't go to like a music school or a college or anything, or did you? No, I mean, we couldn't afford lessons, so I cheated the system. Cheated the system. There was a guy in my class that said he was taking guitar lessons. I said, really? Wow, wow, that's great. I went home and said, Mom and Dad, I want guitar lessons. I said, Son, we can't afford guitar lessons. So I didn't think I was really using the system or stealing from anybody I just don't do that it's not my nature but what was fun for me was fun for him his mom would pick him up at school with his guitar in her car and take him to his guitar lessons I would take my books go home drop the books get the guitar go back to his house and sit on the porch for him to get back from his guitar lessons 
Old Steve's here. That was like every Wednesday, every Wednesday, even if it was raining. And so the way it worked out is that I not only learned what he learned that day, that I played rhythm behind him so he could practice what he learned that day. Was it day. like Mary Had a Lamb and stuff like that? Or? Oh, no, it was... Uh, no, it was songs. It was it was good stuff and all that. And so cool. later, I got a few lessons from the same guy. And uh, remember that guy's name? Uh, I think it was Sid Mankard. That's that, that that'll say work. that's remembering his name. <laughs> <laughs> I was remembering the story better than I was the guy. So you said both. So I took a couple lessons from him, and I. But the thing was on that deal, that my parents. With all due respect, didn't pay. I saved money to to get some lessons from him. And uh, on about the second lesson or third lesson, he's playing the music and he turns the page and he says, "Play this." And it was what did you say a while ago? Jingle Mary bells. Had a little lamb or it was ding 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 ding. So he said, "Let me play it for you." So he played ding 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 ding, and so. He said, play that. And I said, okay. Ding, 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 ding. And he said, I knew it. You don't know how to read music, and you're not trying to learn music. That's not Mary Had a Little Lamb. That's something else. Right. So the music was different on the page. And he said, I'll tell you what. I know you're not into learning music. Why don't you go the next lesson for next week? Bring your favorite two or three songs, and I'll teach you how to play them. Well, that was cool. What a great idea. Yeah. I mean, and, and, <laughs> and he did. Kept me interested, right? Kept me totally interested yeah, in I know. music. I'd, I'd be turned off if I had to like play something that was, wasn't interesting. Now, there are so many great musicians that, that learn by music, that go to college to learn to Berkeley and all that sort of stuff, and it's all good to have that. So I don't know musical theory and stuff, but I can hear harmony. I know when things need harmony and when things don't. Right. You know, so I don't know. Uh, my favorite time in recording, I've made many, many recordings, was the days that we had string sessions. I love that. Maybe it's because I didn't know much about it, but boy, I sure had fun micing those strings and getting the right sound on them. And even the string players, after the session, would stay. Could we hear that back one more time? Yeah, and they go, we love the sound you get on us. Oh, that's great. You know, I can hear my instrument. I hear my part. And I'm going, well, isn't that what it's all about? And they go, well, everybody doesn't do that. They just think strings are strings. Well, yeah. strings have notes like everything yeah, else. Yeah, they all have something to offer. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and it's feeling. That's why the ranger writes the strings for it. You said both your parents were teachers. They were, farmers and teachers. Farmers. They were. What, what did your mother teach? My mother taught whatever subjects were taught in those days, the first through the seventh grade, I guess it was. Okay, so she was like a grammar school teacher. And my dad taught the eighth through the twelfth, but he was mainly a math teacher. Really? My mom was more into geography and social studies. And then the little kids, it was run, dick, run, and fetch the stick, and all that kind of crazy crap. Wow. So So she, here's the, the deal on that, right? I was very, very young. I wasn't even five years old yet. They did not have babysitters in those days. If they did, they were probably very expensive by those standards. So my mom felt it was easier just to babysit me on her own, take me to class with her, 
throw me in the first row of seats with the rest of them or in the back and all that. And she said, you know, what was funny about you is that you did as well or better than some of the other students. And you were so much younger, year and a half, almost two younger, two years younger than some of them. I don't mean this to be anything, but you just did well. Everything I told you to do, you did, maybe because I was your mother. That's what she used to tell me. Wow. And so she kept moving me up, moving me up. Then my dad got an offer to be a policeman in the nearest town, which was 19 miles away in West Plains, Missouri. So we're in Dora. Oh, you're still in grammar school. We're in Dora, Missouri, in grammar school. And my dad gets a job on the police force in West Plains, Missouri. If people want to look up West Plains, there's a lot of great musicians came out of West Plains. But anyway, my mom, just in her mind, said, my son is too young for these big old city boys. <laughs> West Plains was not a city yet and still isn't as far as I know. So she was on the school board, not teaching anymore, but she had the power to put me back. So I was in the fourth grade for about three weeks and then she put me back to the third one more time wow that's where you get the number 13 i went to school for 13 years plus kindergarten that's 14 years that's too smarter well something like that maybe it's better if all kids did that today they probably should just go to grammar school for about 100 years and forget about it what all right you, you played guitar through high school i did and uh i, I can't imagine that helped you uh not get the ladies it was was did that's you, the whole idea i mean was why it, did you choose guitar right. i said was well, it, it was very simple i guess pick that's my girls. question was it more for the babes or was Just it more to pick for up music? girls yeah, pick but up girls. but then again it wasn't about the guitar what was it about it was about dance music dance music you play the right songs and get them dancing you don't get them dancing playing uh stardust and jerry pick pink and apple blossom white or that kind of stuff i mean you get the slow dancers, the old slow dancers. Belly rubbers. But if you want kids to get in the action, and that was the days of Dick Clark, you played the current dance music. Well, you didn't play anymore. So that's who, what we did. What was your first band? What was that band? Called the Marquis. Oh, so the Marquis was the very first band. Okay. Yeah, I mean it had other little tributaries oh, okay. of stuff, but it was the same guys. Yeah. So that was in, and was, was that And then you, when we added uh, and session musicians, absolutely. It was you and Duck. So you met Duck. Charlie Freeman, Donald Duck Dunn, uh, myself, and uh, Terry Johnson on drums. Okay. We were seniors. Terry Johnson was, well, when we put the band together, we were juniors, and Terry Johnson was a freshman. All right. But he was the only guy in school that could play drums. I, I didn't realize that. I didn't know your first band was the Marquis. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. So you did that. And, and we guys, worked clubs for about a year after we graduated. When did you when did you cut a, cut a record? <clears throat> Nineteen sixty one. Sixty one. And uh, it came out in the summer of sixty one. It was a big big hit, and I just thought, man, it was a big hit because we were geniuses and knew what we were doing. <laughs> we did. I finally analyzed in my old age why was that record such a big hit? Because right. it was number three in the nation. It was big. In the nation? In the nation. Oh, and big around the world. I didn't know it was in the nation. I finally figured it out. It was the first twist instrumental. Had that twist beat. And I remember my mom in the living room. She couldn't dance with me, but she could twist to that record. She sat there and twisted. Twisting. We got a hit. We got a hit. And we did. And for the benefit of people listening, what was the name of that song? 
last night. Last and in night. the middle, Floyd Newman goes, ooh, last night. <laughs> of course, he had a little bit different interest in it than the title itself. <laughs> All right, so Marquise, and uh, and then did you... Did you uh, went on the road with them? We we went. Uh, I think from Memphis. I think our first gigs were in St. Louis. St. Louis. Then we went on up to Detroit, went to Saginaw, Michigan, and all up to the college area. And then we came back down through Chicago, and then we went into um, Cleveland, and then we went to Philly and played Dick Clark. And that was all the areas when Chubby Checker was still around and Bobby V and. Bobby V, who they Bobby thought was v. who they thought was Buddy Holly. Do you remember that? Yeah, remember I that do remember that. Stink? We played with him in Myrtle Beach one day. Yeah. yeah. Now, was there another? What was there? Was there another band after the Marquees before you started working? Well, with we did. We did the Dick Clark thing, then we went to. I don't know geographically. I think Virginia Beach first, then down to Myrtle Beach, then we cut over to uh, to Atlanta and played the Royal Peacock Lounge. And uh, in the tour itself, we kind of followed around Ike and Tina Turner. And they had a hit record called Everything's Gonna Work Out Fine. They were just coming on the scene too. They were good. They hadn't had their big, big giant records yet. It hadn't even been done. And there we were with a hit record. We did shows with uh, the Everly Brothers. And uh, we did a show that was supposed to be Patsy Cline, the big bopper, when all that happened, and they went down the plane and everything. But we did do a show with Jerry Lee Lewis and the Everly Brothers and all that. It wasn't part of that tour, but we had done it because we had a number one record. And then that summer tour, we came out and did some stuff. And we went over to Atlanta, the Royal Peacock Lounge. I'll never forget it. And um, boy, what a great show. And then recently, in the last few years, I did a dedicated album to Loman Paulin, who was the leader of that group. And they played there two weeks before we did. So they played, I and Tina Turner played the next week, and then we played the following week. Then we left there and we went to Bossier City, and that was gonna be sort of the end of the tour, kind of, until the new bookings come in. And we were doing three gigs, or three, not three gigs, three weeks at the Horseshoe um, Lounge in Bossier City, or the Horseshoe Bar, whatever they called it. And it was one of those things that had a big old bar and the bandstand was behind the bar in a horseshoe fashion. That's tough. And about the third day of the second week, I'm in the restroom with our saxophone player, Packy Axton, who was the son of the owner of the record shop at Stax Records. And uh, I said, Packy, I said, you've been wanting me to leave this band since we were in high school. It's yours. He said, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm catching the first thing out here tomorrow. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, yes, I am. I'm gone. You got it. It's rough. He didn't understand what I meant. And I, and I had to explain it to him. And I said, Packy, his name was Charles Axon. Packy was his nickname. And I said, this road is not for me. I can't stand being out here. I can't. I love entertaining. But the road part is just too rough for me. I want to go back and start producing records and writing songs. That's what I do for a living. And I can't do that on the road, you know. Was there was there a place that you recorded before Stax? Were you recruited by Stax? Or no, just kind of it just place? fell in. I, I I played on other records in other studios for a while, and um, I played my first session at Stax. I remember that. I played on a, a guy's name was Prince Conley, on a record called "I'm Going Home," which was a single release. 
was one of the better things I played on out of stacks at that time. And uh, now I went back and I actually called. I got Miss Axton, Packy's mom, on the phone and I said, I'm coming back to Memphis. Would you consider hiring me back and giving me my record shop, Gabe? And uh, she said, yes. And I said, no, I'm going to go back to college. And I did. I re-enrolled again for a third semester at the University of Memphis. And uh, I did that. And then the band finally came off the road. Well, before the band went on the road, we played nine months at a place called Neil's Hideaway. The band stayed out there. In the meantime, Jim Stewart, her brother, who owns Stax, says, we've got to have a rhythm section. Because we were borrowing from other guys, and we were getting the club handy band to come in and play certain sessions. You couldn't get them every day. We needed some guys that were either on sour or on draw that we knew could be there every day, five days a week, basically. And so I started assembling this stuff, and I asked Floyd Newman uh, if he knew of a, a good piano player. And he said, yeah. He said, this kid's really, really young, but he's real good. And I did not know he had ever played a session at Stax. I went over there to see a keyboard player. So I go knock on his door, get the address. His mom comes to the door. And I said, I'm uh, Steve Cropper from Stax. I'm here to see Booker. And she said, oh, Booker's back in the den. Just walk on back there. He's back there. And I walk back in the den. There's Booker sitting in the couch back there playing a guitar. And I went, man, I don't need a guitar player. <laughs> I need a piano player. Booker T can play anything. Well, he wrote a lot of songs on guitar, played guitar. What I didn't know at the time that he had been there before and played baritone on uh, Rufus Thomas and Carla Thomas's record. I didn't know a that little, either. A little hit song called Cause I Love You, which right. was the first real hit, hit, R&B hit on Stax Records, distributed by Atlantic. And uh, Floyd Newman, our illustrious uh, baritone player. He's still in Memphis, teaches music. And and uh, he said, you remember when I uh, suggested you get Booker T? And I said, well, yeah. He told me this 20 some odd years later. He said, I was so afraid of losing my baritone gig because Booker had played on that hit record with Rufus <laughs> and Carla. But I knew he could play <laughs> piano because he played in the church and stuff. So there you go. That's, that's so how then, it all got started. So then it moved into that, and then stacks, and then the rest is history. And the rest is history. Uh, you know, Green Onions was luck. It wasn't something we sat at home and conjured up and went in the studio and put together and did. It was just luck. <clears throat> the luck part of it was that we were just jamming because an artist didn't show, playing some old blues stuff that we would play in a nightclub just as a filler of time to get through the set or whatever. And Jim Stewart thought it was good, and he hit the record button, put it down, and he said, hey, guys, come and listen to that. And we went, what? Listen to it. You, you recorded that? He said, yeah, come on, listen to it. And it felt pretty good. He said, well, what if we wanted to put something like this out? You got anything you put on the B-side? We just looked at each other totally dumbfounded. This guy cannot be serious. Jim Stewart cannot be serious about this, but I guess he was. And I, we didn't have anything. We just all looked dumbfounded. And I, and I looked at the book and I said, Book, you played me a riff about two weeks ago for a song you thought might be pretty good. And I said, you remember that? And he said, well, I don't know. Let's go down to Oregon and we'll find out. He said, is this the riff? That's it. Four cuts later, we had Green Onions. Wow. Number one record in the nation, period. <laughs> That's a great tune. And there you go. It's fun.
It was fun being a, being a multiple, you know, I worked in a record shop and I swept the floors and I edited tapes. I wasn't allowed to engineer yet, played a little guitar in some sessions. And when they pressed that record, I went down and had Scotty Moore, who was Elvis's guitar yes. player, who run the lathe over at Sun, to cut me a dub on that. And he said, yeah, and he said, you know, that, that swings, that sounds pretty good. We didn't have a title for it. So I take it down to my friend Reuben Washington on WLOK Drive Time, and I said, we cut something yesterday, or Sunday, this was on a Tuesday morning. We cut something Sunday, tell me what you think of it. He played about intro and about part of the verse and backed it up and played it again. I didn't know he put it out on the air and the phone's lit up. Oh, wow. Who is that? Where can we get it? What is that? It's Green Onions. It's still live today. Green Onions is... People do not know how old that song is. It's just grooves like it you always grooved. Now, I, I heard an interview with Booker where he said that it's a consulate organ. It's not a B3 with the Leslie. It's, it's an M3. It's an M3. M3. <clears throat> and uh, there was a lady that played in the church, and she put a piece in the paper. She quit playing in the church. She had to, She owned her own organ. And they brought it to her house, and she wanted to sell it. And Jim cut out that piece of paper, came to the studio, and he said, Hey, Steve, he said, you want to go with me and go over to look at this uh, organ this lady has for sale? Because it had a price on it that was reasonable. And uh, it was also what they called a Hammond spinet. Right. Had uh, an octave and a half of little plastic foot pedals for the bass. It didn't have uh, a Leslie attachment and all that. It was just straight. It had a little old 8-inch speaker come out down here by your right knee, that kind of a thing. But it did have the two keyboards, and it had some draw bars, and it had a percussion on it, which was pretty cool, called an M1. The Booker now owns, I don't know, three or four of them, but I, I don't know who owns the original. Does. <laughs> and if you listen to Green Onions, there's no vibrato, there's no Leslie tremolo yeah. on that melody. Straight it's just ahead. straight tone, straight ahead. We had a lot of hits on that organ. When did you move to L.A.? 74. 74. And how long did you live in L.A. before you came back to Tennessee? 13 years. 13 years. But obviously, it was one of the best moves I ever made. It was just <laughs> it, a lucky moment. It went pretty well for you. That's, that's when Belushi <laughs> called and says, I'm putting a band together. I need you in my band. First, she said, who is this? John Belushi. I understand you don't get along with Doug Dunn. What? <laughs> who would say that to me? What? That's your brother from another mother. And he said, I've already talked to Doug. He's in. I need you. I said, Sorry, I can't do it. What do you mean you can't do it? I said, I'm in the middle of mixing an album. You know, and I'd met him before. I met him at a Paul McCartney party. So. You, you gave him a hard time. Finally, I gave him a real hard time. I how, did everything but hang up on him. How long and he called you, back. How long till you gave in? About an hour and a half. <laughs> and then Robin Ford, who I was producing, he said, who in the hell is that? Pardon my language. I said, John Belushi. He said, what does he want? I said, he wants me to come to New York and be in a band with him. He said, hell, I'll do it. I said, no, you won't. <laughs> so I had about four more songs to mix, and I made a deal with, with the artist and the engineer, Bruce Robb, at Cherokee Studios. And I said, let's do this. If, if it will work out, why don't y'all continue mixing the album, FedEx me the mixes in New York, and I'll tell you whether I like them or not, and if I don't like them or whatever just like you were doing when I walked in yeah. and then we'll go from there and I said fine so Robin Ford had a hit and so did the Blues Brothers <laughs> awesome it works 
All right, so uh, what are you listening to right now that's not you? It can be old or new. It don't have to be a new record. Well, it's going to sound prejudiced. It prejudiced. I, I recorded on something the week before we left. Come over here. All right. I was hoping to get to meet her this week, but I hadn't really reached reached way out. And, and my friend who's from here didn't know who she was. She goes by the name of Rumor. She's got a new project, and they asked if I'd play on a couple of tracks. And one of them, we just happened to luck up like that luck thing. And I said, man, that's some, uh, that is commercial. The smash. I'm not going to say who it is now, because it's... You can save it for later if you want to, but rumor. Okay. Rumor. R U M O R. Yeah. She's a female. Yeah. She's not a band. Person. She's a person. She's a female person from England, English singer named Rumor. She's had several records before. She obviously has a following. And she's got a hit. <laughs> awesome. So fortunately I'm playing on it. Well Steve. She doesn't have to tell people how old a guy is playing the lick. <laughs> He sounds 16, but he ain't. <laughs> well, Steve, thanks for coming. God bless you. You back, Cowboy. Good luck with your show. This is uh, Cowboy Q Thompson. We've been talking with Steve Cropper, Rock and Roll Hall and Famer. And uh, we're glad to have him on the show. Please listen to the Nashville Soul Music Podcast and subscribe. And you can visit us at NashvilleSoulMusic.com. <laughs>